So, how do you make ready for Christmas? So, at the carol service, I want to tell, I want to tell you about my stocking. Um, yeah, I get a stocking for Elspeth, and she does one for me. Isn't that fun? You, and that has a certain meaning, doesn't it? So, and how about this? Last year, Elspeth bought the Christmas pudding ready for this year. Isn't that clever? So, I don't, I don't think that's it. It's not been got out yet. Um, but... Um, but we get ready for things, don't we? My, uh, my nephew's wife is expecting a baby in June and my niece is getting married next Christmas. So my sister's obviously thinking about those things. You're getting ready for things. And then you think about uh, when my grandchild gets a bit older, no doubt we'll, no doubt we'll play hide-and-seek. And you know what happens. You count to 50 and then you turn around and you say, I'm coming, ready or not. Okay? And uh, God is uh, at work and he is at work in this world and he the bible is in a sense a story of how the whole creation is awaiting the biggest wedding of all the wedding the reunion of heaven and earth when jesus comes for a second time and advent is about coming it's about getting ready for god's coming and the bible describes how we get ready and whenever we read the bible we're, what we're actually doing is not just reading about something that happened a long time ago, but we're reading about people who are just like us. Because, you know, ancient people weren't stupid. They were people like us. And we're reading about how they got ready, and therefore we learn something ourselves. And so my theme today is to make ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. Right? To make ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. And we're going to read from Luke chapter 1, from verse 5, the text... The words will come up on the screen or you can look up on your phone or your Bible about it. So first of all, we're going to meet the parents in this situation. This is before the birth of Jesus. This is to do with the birth of John the Baptist, who was uh, a precursor, the one who prepared the way uh, for the birth of Jesus. And uh, so we're going to meet the parents of John the Baptist, these guys called Zechariah and Elizabeth. So reading from verses 5 to 7, first of all. In the time of Herod, this is Herod the Great, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Because to be a priest, he was a descendant of Aaron. So they were, uh, they, they were a real you know, pedigree priestly couple. Verse 6, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. So they were both of this priestly caste. And, um, but although Elizabeth was born of that priestly caste, being a woman, she could have no part in the priestly duties. Women were not educated at that time, and so she would have been quite excluded from the situation and had very little agency, very little control in her life. She was just supposed to be a good wife bearing other little priest children who could fill the ranks of the priesthood in the next generation. But sadly, she couldn't even do that. And she lived before the time of IVF or anything like that. And at a time when, I mean, even today, people can feel a great pain in childlessness. But in those days, there would have been actually a great deal of social um, uh, sort of shame associated with that. In fact, 
there was something in, in the Jewish law, there was a kind of Argos 16-day money-back guarantee for a man who got married that is, if his wife didn't bear him any children, he could just divorce her. But Zechariah had not done that. He had stuck with Elizabeth and shared in that public shame. So that shows us we have a couple here who know how to commit to a relationship, to a project, in a way that's not driven by getting noticed or having influence or having a big reputation or having applause. They just stuck with it. They were faithful people, had been married many, many decades. And to some extent, they'd learned how to navigate the disappointment of their situation and not to start just blaming one another, which is so often what can happen. I, I've heard of marriages breaking up because they couldn't have children. And we can sometimes, in our disappointment, in lots of situations, whether it's in a business, in a church, in a family situation, uh, sometimes disappointment can lead to a sort of blame culture and a lot of sadness and uh, sort of recriminations which damage things. But no, these two stuck together and, uh, and they were faithful to one another. And then we move on to verse 8, the next slide, Peter. So once, when Zechariah's division, there, there were so many of the priests that they didn't need them all on duty at one time. So they divided them into 24 divisions and they were on duty for one, two different weeks during the year. In addition, they served at the temple during the major festivals. So this must have been one of the weeks that he was on duty, right? So uh, he was on duty and he was serving as priest before God. Now, when you were serving on the duty, you, uh, there was a lot drawn. You, everyone shared in the duties, but there was one duty that was performed where that priest would go into the holy place to burn incense at the altar of incense. And, uh, and you, as a priest, you might never, ever get to do this in your entire life. And once you had done it, you would never be put into the drawer to do it again. Okay? You'd never be put into the drawer to do it again. So this, it was a, a, a tremendous privilege, a tremendous opportunity, and it was something that only it was apportioned to you by the drawing of lots. And as I say, once you, if you did it once, then your name never went into the drawer again. So amazingly, on this occasion, Zechariah's name was drawn. That means his name had never been drawn all the years before. And he was the one who was going to go in, burn the, altar, the incense at the altar, be in that holy presence. And then the people all waited outside because this priest, the priest who got that honor, would come out from that place where they believed the presence of God was most strong. He would come out and he would then bless the people and announce a blessing. And they were waiting for this blessing. This priest who's been into the very presence of God, been in with God, and he's going to come out. He's going to bless us. So they're waiting there. And so he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside and waiting to receive their blessing. Now I just want to say, you know, that it's clear he was a priest, so he did religious things and he was one who went into the temple. But actually this was like his job. And I want to say to us, you know, God can meet us when we do our job, right? I remember Barry Bramwell, some of you remember, a very long-standing member of this church. They've moved away now. But Barry came to a prayer meeting once. He said he'd been watching a film. And in the film, one of the characters said, everything is possible if you only go to work, right? And, 
And he just brought that and said, you know, that's so true. Everything is possible if you only go to work. If, if, we, if we pray, but actually, if you look in the, 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 the history of how people met with God in Scripture, yes, some met with God in the temple, like Ezekiel and things like that, but a lot more of the people met God when they were just doing their everyday thing. Elisha was plowing. He was a farmer. His dad was a farmer. So he was helping on the farm plowing. And the angel came and met him. David was out in the fields tending sheep for his dad when the prophet summoned him and he got anointed to be the king. Right? Moses was a shepherd leading a flock out in the wilderness. And the fire the bush caught fire. Some of you remember some of these stories. Matthew was sitting in his tax booth. Jesus came by and said, follow me. Right? So Simon and Andrew were, caught, were doing their fishing job. And Jesus said, follow me. Friends, don't just think you need to come to church to meet with God. God can meet us in our places of work where we go shopping at the school gate. God is sovereign and wonderful. But there was an even bigger surprise for Zechariah this day. So from verse 11, the next slide. Then, right, he's gone into the holy place to offer the incense. And it says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. He was startled and gripped with fear. Now, you you might say, that's a bit odd. He knows he's going into God's living room. And then he's surprised when he finds that God stuff happens in God's living room. But isn't that so true for all of us? Right? We come to church. This is when we gather together. This is, in a sense, God's living room. And we can then be surprised when God does funny, weird God stuff. I remember somebody coming to our church. He was a Christian. He'd been in another New Frontiers church. He said he found our church scary. And I thought, wow, I think it could be a lot scarier, actually. Um, I would like that. Would you like that? I I would like more of God. I'm hungry for the Lord. So I I would like it to be scarier still. So uh, bring it on, I say. Bring it on. So uh, not that we seek weirdness for its sake, but that we seek the presence of God. And so, um, so why is he so scared? Because there was something awesome. In fact, I'm, I, I've heard it said that the priest who was chosen to walk into the Holy of Holies, they would tie a rope around his ankle so that because they thought it's just possible he might meet with God and be struck down. And if that happens, if, we, if, if we're still waiting a long while, we're just going to start pulling on the rope and, and we'll get the corpse out, you know, because otherwise, you know, this is the holy place. We've got to clear it of the... Um, so, this, so they had some sense that they were going to the awesome presence of God. Um, but it's amazing how we can be so determined or so set in a kind of a routine of religious activity that we forget the reality of God's presence and we're frightened when God actually turns up. But it is his house. Right? We are his house. And so Zechariah was wrong-footed by this. And yet he shouldn't have been, should he? It's ridiculous. He was going into God's living room, yet he was wrong-footed by it. So verse 13, what happens then is with the angel? But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Angels always have to say that. Right? They're very big, awesome things. Uh, often on Christmas cards, what you get is a little baby with little wings. And you think, well, that wouldn't frighten anyone. The thing is, that's never what a, an angel looks like, as recorded in the Bible. The, the angels are always huge. They look like men. Uh, they are vast. They're glowing and whatever. And whenever anyone meets an angel in the Bible, they're, like, they're very scared. 
Okay? It's a very frightening experience. And that's not because they intend to be frightening, it's because they're very big and they're very unusual and you haven't seen one before and so it becomes uh, frightening. Now that's not to say there are not angels that uh, appear to us sometimes and we see them unawares because God often sends angels to help us. I've heard of stories of people being helped by, you know, breaking down on a snowy dale somewhere and some, 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 somebody suddenly turns up and sorts the car out and they're thinking, who was that? And um, the Bible says sometimes there are angels uh, that come and help us in that way. So, uh, so that's why you get that. Now your prayer's been heard, he next says. Your prayer has been heard. What an amazing message to get from an angel. Isn't that, wouldn't that be wonderful? You probably all have prayers you pray that have not been answered yet. Longings of your heart for a loved one that, that you pour out to God. Sometimes you, you maybe give up, you get disappointed and you stop. These people had prayed for many, many years, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that God would give them a child. And probably during those many decades, they'd stopped praying and maybe then started praying again. But for God, it was as fresh as just this morning that the prayer had been made. And he says, your prayer has been heard. And you'd have thought his heart would just right leap with that. That's fantastic because it must have been such a sense of mockery that it, 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 because, you know, Zechariah and Elizabeth, their names mean something. Right? As most names do mean something, you know? So Zechariah means something like the Lord remembers you. Right? The Lord remembers you. So, so just imagine that. You're, you'd almost feel mocked by that, wouldn't you? Every time Elizabeth said, Hey, Zechariah, honey, um, it was like, The Lord remembers you, honey. And he's thinking, Yeah, but we haven't got a kid. And Elizabeth means the Lord's your faithful one. Something like that. The Lord is your oath, your promise, your faithful one. So every time he said, Elizabeth, babe, it was like, the, your faithful one, the name is reminding you. And then she's thinking, yeah, but I, I haven't had the baby we've prayed for. And yet they'd held fast. And, and yet also they had, hadn't held fast. He's, he's not really ready for this news. Um, and so... Um, and what's more, this was such a sure thing, the miracle even has a name. You're going to have a baby, Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. Right? You're to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. And then the next slide, he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and of the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth have been told, you're going to be, you're part of my preparation plans for what I'm doing in the earth, God is saying. Um, but Zechariah, I'm not sure he hears everything the angel has to say here because he, he, he has, um, verse 18, we move on to the next slide, he has one of those moments, I don't know, do you know people, I know people even in the church who can be almost relied on to say the wrong thing. And, you know, like Frazier in Frazier or Homer Simpson in The Simpsons or you think of characters in 
uh, um, you know, Mrs. Bennett in, um, in, in Pride and Prejudice, they just can be relied on to say the wrong thing, right? And, and this is a real foot-in-mouth moment. This was surely the moment Zechariah says this. He must have realized this was a gaffe, shouldn't have said that. And, and you know that kind of experience where you said those things and you wish there was like a, a pause and a rewind button and you go and, and get it all back, but it's too late. It's out there. And um, so, you know, and he says, uh, Zechariah asks the angel, well, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife has met well on with years. And, and he, he, just, he, he just can't deal with it. No, nope, uh, I'm not sure about this at all. And uh, he's really blowing this moment, right? And it's as if like, okay, Christmas is coming up. Maybe you have a, a, a dear friend, a spouse, a child or a parent. And, um, and they've asked you what you want for Christmas. And, and you've told them. And you said to them, I've seen it's on, it's really cheap if you go to X, shop X or, and, and look, I've got this voucher, you can get five pounds off when you get it. And then on Christmas Day, you unwrap it and there is the thing that you asked for. And, and what do you say? Instead of saying thank you and a big hug and a kiss, you say, you did remember to use that voucher and you, you did remember. And, it's just the wrong thing to say at that moment, isn't it? Do you understand? So this, it's like a gaffe. It's like he's, he's just been told you're going to have a baby and he's saying, well, wait a minute, you know. Um, so he, he's really hitting the wrong note here at this time. And, uh, and so, um, so we, we, we then find that uh, this, this, this moves on because the angel gets a bit annoyed about this. Right? And, um, and, you know, I think that's understandable. Because he was being, he was being a, a muppet. And so we read then, uh, verse 19, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I've been, I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. You dope. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Now, get it, would you? And um, <clears throat> it's a curious thing why he was struck dumb, isn't it? It's quite, it's quite severe, isn't it? I mean, I can think of worse things, mind you. But we have to kind of... The angel's very clear. It was unbelief. And, but if you know the nativity stories, you'll know that when Mary had the angel Gabriel appear to her, she also asked a question. Do you remember that? Um, she says, um, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And I don't know about you, but I sometimes puzzle. Why did Mary get away with it and Zechariah got in trouble? You know, what is the difference here? Yeah, I mean... I'd like to know because I want to be sure if, when I get my angel, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> and I, I think it has something to do with the fact, I mean, Mary, she hadn't been given, any, she hadn't been praying for a baby, had she? She'd got no advance notice. She's just maybe 15 years old, something like this. She's not even married, right? So, I mean, it, I think God knows, you know, when you get this message, okay, you're going to have a baby, what? You know, you're going to have a question about it. And so that's fine. Whereas Zechariah had been praying for a baby, right? So when the angel comes and says, your prayer has been answered, you're going to have a child, the proper response is, whoopee! Not what he, how he responded. And um, 
And so I think that the question then kind of arises, what, you know, what, what is he to make of this? How, are we to, how is he to react to this? And he doesn't react very well to this. And I guess it's because of the delay. And you know, when you get older, it's harder to deal with changes and stuff like that. Because it's going to be very disruptive, isn't it? And Because part of you begins you begin to reconcile and resign yourself to something and think, actually, there are some positives to not having children and, uh, and stuff like this, and so then you're, you're more adjusted to it. Um, but I want to be able to respond more like Mary than Zechariah to challenges and changes. Because, you know, we pray prayers, whether it's a specific prayer like that or we pray prayers, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, just a quite a general prayer. But we don't always know what that will look like. And sometimes what it looks like is not what we expected and wasn't exactly what we were planning for. And so it can be quite a surprise. And then we can struggle because we are challenged by that change. So he comes out and uh, because we are involved in the world to be making ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. And we read verse 21, is it the next slide? The people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Friends, I want to say to you, you know, this whole world is waiting for God. He's waiting for God to do something. And people often say, well, why hasn't God, where is his coming? Right? Where is his coming? He is coming. He is going to come again. And people are waiting for this. And they're wondering, why is he staying so long in his heaven and not coming? But he is coming. He is coming. Let us believe the prophecies. Just as, rather than Zechariah disbelieved the angel, let us believe these promises. Because when he emerged, he couldn't speak. Imagine they're waiting for the blessing. He comes out and he can't get the blessing out. He's not able to do the privileged thing which he could do that day. He's not able to do it. And he's like gesticulating and all the rest. And... Um, uh, and, and they realize something difficult. And then he's not able to talk. What, what is all that about? Why would the angel do that? I don't know. I guess it's partly, look, if you can't see something sensible, I think you better not speak at all. And, you know, some of us would benefit from that kind of advice <laughs> because, because we say unhelpful things, don't we? Uh, and, and nine months of whinging. Really? Yeah, okay. But... Recently, our daughter Katie, who's over in Bethel Church in California, they were encouraged to do a four-day silence. And she found it really, really hard. So I asked her yesterday, you know, what would the experience be like for Zechariah? And so she messaged me back. Um, because, I mean, for example, if you're being silent, you can't, when somebody's talking to you, there's no point thinking of what you'll say in return because you can't say anything, can you? So I guess you're going to be better at listening. I mean, you are, aren't you? And, um, and then you're going to have to do a lot more thinking. And she said, she said that she was asked to do four days, but she gave up after three and a half. She actually found it very difficult. Um, she said Zechariah would have got well acquainted with his own internal world. He would have learned something about who he is rather than what he contributes being silent means you don't get to sway a room with your words. And that's a challenge. He would have learned to come under the authority of others in a different way, but also to be an authority without having to use strong words or any words. Ha <laughs> ha. 
in my experiences, in my experience, relationships grew richer. I had to grow in my humility, but I had to be way more powerful over my thought life. I hope that helps. She found her own thought life. She didn't, because she couldn't talk it out. She had to be much more disciplined, governing her thoughts, taking control of her thoughts. To be struck dumb is to lose control. I, I'm really struck by this because I think when that angelic announcement comes, it's clearly a major change for Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. And at that point, he's losing a lot of control. Isn't he? He's told you're going to have a baby. The baby's going to be a boy. He's even told what the name is going to be. So he doesn't even get to choose the name. I don't know about you, but change often does that to you because change seems to be somebody else's action that's affecting me. And it's not, I'm losing control, and so I'm feeling insecure. And so I'm thinking, you know, if, I, if, if God had read the book, he'd be thinking, how can I give Zechariah a little bit of control and influence here to help him cope with the change? So what does God, the angel, do? Makes him so he can't speak, and he loses even more control. That loses that power to influence the room, to shape his wife, to... Um, but he's casting Zechariah back onto God himself. And that God, um, w- and he's beginning to realize, no, I'm not on the back seat. Because we can see ourselves as on the edge, extras in God's great story, bit part actors who will just miss, we just miss the main action. It's always somewhere else. It's over in Brazil or, uh, you know, it's in America where things really happen or somewhere else. No, friends. God wants to engage us. Yes. And he wants to bring us into the center of his purpose. And it's the fullness of being God's son and daughter, to come into the fullness of that, to stop living like an overlooked orphan. We're called into something so much bigger. He was just praying for a baby boy and God says, my boy's going to help in the whole purposes, my purposes in the earth. So that's what God wants to do for us as well. You know, we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, just bringing it very locally, you know, changes happen for us in our lives. You experience changes, you change a job. We've been talking about some changes in the eldership, in the church here. All these changes uh, invite us. Any change invites us to how are we listening? How are we hearing? How, how are we dealing with the loss of control that is involved with that? Because these are the challenges, right? And this is helpful. Pamela Gray, someone called Pamela Gray, commenting on Samuel's famous words in Scripture, which are, Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Do you remember those words? She said, for, for every person that says that, there are ten who say, Hear, Lord, for your servant speaketh. <laughs> you know. And so we, we need to, you know, God has given us two ears and only one mouth. There's a lesson in that. So in the wilderness of this enforced silence, God birthed something both in Elizabeth and Zechariah. In Elizabeth was birthed that child. And so she says... Um, Verse the last passage. When, when his time for service was completed, which would have been within a week, he returned home, because obviously he had to do the necessary. I don't need to say any more. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. We've already heard news of this, that we can sit under the favor of God. How wonderful. So in her was conceived John the Baptist, but in Zechariah was conceived 
a vision of what God was really about. A vision he couldn't see at the beginning, but through that nine months that he saw. And, uh, and this burst out in a famous song which he uh, spoke a bit uh, later on. It's recorded a little bit later on in Luke chapter 1. And I'll read that as just to finish. It's the next few slides, Peter. Praise the Lord, he said. This was after uh, John had been born, John the Baptist had been born, and the people had asked what na- his name should be, and they'd said John, and the people said, well, he shouldn't be called John. They, as in many cultures, you called a child the same name as the father. It should be called Zechariah, you know, Zechariah the third and the fourth, etc. Um, and they, so they turned to Zechariah and said, well, what should his name be? And he wrote, his name is John. And then they knew, okay. And then his mouth was loosed, and he said this, Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He sent us a mighty saviour from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We've been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Dear friends, this is now our role in the world, to be those who make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You might sometimes think it would be great if the Church of England would appoint a chaplain in my street. Well, do you know the Church of England hasn't, but God has. It's you, right? You are the chaplain in your street at that school (coughs) gate, and we are there to... uh, bring news and make ready a people prepared for the coming of the Lord. And that also includes our children to raise them up like Zechariah could see. God doesn't give us sons and daughters. He gives us little prophets and apostles and artists and scientists and doctors, people who will carry the kingdom of God and the rule of God into every dimension of of the world of, of human life. And bring blessing. Praise God for that.